With great mojo comes great responsibility. Mojo 5 Mojo 5 We will make America great again. Sam Sorbo. Welcome to the Sam Sorbo Show. My guest now is Dr. Daniel Stock. He's a physician whose uh, speech at a school board meeting went absolutely viral. He was speaking about COVID-19 at the Mount Vernon School Board meeting in Indiana uh, earlier this month. He's an MD. He's a primary care physician with a long track record of success. And so I thought, let's have a chat. Um, First of all, I want to say, Dr. Stock, Thank you so much for speaking out at a school board meeting. Uh, I am somebody who takes a position that I don't think that school boards ought to be mandating much of anything, much less masks. Um, I, I, I bristle at putting masks on children. I, I really look at that as a form of child abuse, in fact, when there are no studies that show that it's effective at protecting children whatsoever. And there are no studies that show um any of the effects, whether they might be deleterious or not. So let's, so first of all, welcome to the show. And secondly, let's start there, shall we? Well, actually, I'm going to go a little further than you did and say it's, we do have data that says they are harmful. Um, While some of these studies have been retracted because the uh, journals said they didn't like the technique, the technique has been accepted by other journals. I've read these studies and didn't have any problem with their scientific technique. And they clearly show that the effects of carbon dioxide and oxygen occur faster um, in younger children. And the smaller the child, the faster and higher degree they occur. So we do have data of injury. What we don't have is any data of benefit. Um, So talk to me, talk to me about data of injury, because I want to hear that. I was unaware that they had done studies uh, that that had been at least accepted somewhere. Right. I know that there are places that don't accept the studies because they don't want to. Sadly, that's what science has now devolved into. I, I, I teach, and actually I was teaching yesterday, and I said, so science used to be about the ability to recreate your findings, right? Now it's not about that, apparently. Yeah, science used to be that we used a particular thought method to establish reality, come what may, and now it's become the making of fact soup, where we just throw out all the information <laughs> that we really don't think we want to pay attention to. So uh, there was actually a study published in the uh, uh, JAMA Pediatrics that showed um, that the carbon dioxide retention happened very quickly in pediatric patients, even faster than it did in adults, and that the smaller the child, the faster it occurred and the greater the degree occurred. Okay, so first of all, JAMA is Journal of American, uh, Journal of the American Medical Association. So that's a that's a bona fide journal. That's not just some some guy. Typing well, a blog somewhere. Journal. We can debate. We can debate whether or not they are well devoted to science anymore. Um, after publishing that uh, study, they demanded some further information from the author, which he provided, um, and then they uh, said, "Well, we're going to retract the article anyway." I, I read the article. It had been peer reviewed before. I read the article. Um, I haven't done a lot of basic science research, but I've done some, and it seemed to have wonderful technique. I saw nothing wrong with what was in the. Uh, methods of the article. The only thing that seemed to be objectionable was the fact it came out with a finding that mask proponents wouldn't really like. Um, So tell me about the effects. So you're talking about carbon dioxide retention. What is that? What does that mean for a child? 
So <clears throat> carbon dioxide is one of the waste products of making energy. We have to expel it and get it up our lungs. If we don't, actually, your body starts to have its acidity go up and the enzymes of the body don't work right. So you have regulatory mechanisms in your brain that make it when your carbon dioxide levels start to go up, that you actually start to activate the fight or flight response. And uh, that's typical because if you were smothering in a room, you would fight like the devil to get out of it. So you may activate it only a small amount, but one of the unique problems with that fight or flight response part of the brain that we call the, hip, the, uh, hypo, um, excuse me, the amygdala uh, hippocampus complex is that it actually restricts learning um, and memory recall. And the more you activate it, the more it does that. Uh, that's its function. You know, when you're running away from the bear, you don't want to sit down and think about how to make tea. You want to filter out all the information that doesn't have anything to do with the bear. And you tend to go very quickly and think deeply and you don't really learn very fast. It also, would, it, would you say that it stokes aggression as well? Um, well, pe- yes, and that aggression is usually a poorly thought out response to thing, and people don't think deeply when they're in flight or f- fight or flight mode. So the more you activate that system in a child, the more you're going to affect their ability to learn. And that doesn't even get into the social isolation of removing their ability to read facial expressions. Um, so much of our communication comes from facial expression, and most of those facial expression muscles lo- lay below the level of the eye. Um, such that you're retarding their psychosocial uh, development as well as their ability to learn math and science and everything else. Well, and, and also we don't, you know, you, you say retarding, but we don't actually know if by retarding that, you, re, re, by slowing that process or, or removing it and postponing it, right? Postponing it. If, if you can postpone it. I mean, there are certain things that the brain learns that can't be postponed. So, I, I mean, I remember reading a horrifying study that they did on babies. They blindfolded them and the babies never learned to see, even though their eyes were perfectly, uh, perfectly capable of seeing. The, the, the baby's brains never developed to that degree. So I wonder, I wonder if uh, children's brains are still developing to the degree. I mean, I have to assume that they are developing still because they're, they're small and they're growing. So if you remove a... a, a an ability or a, or a, a time period of being able to learn to map people's faces. I mean, I know that I know that Asperger's tend to have trouble uh, figuring out face mapping recognition for uh, for interpreting people's uh, emotions from their faces, right? Well, in fact, your point is spot on. We already know that the visual disturbance amblyopia, which occurs if you just take a one eye that can't focus properly, the brain will learn to ignore that eye and will never learn to use it. Not only will it learn not to use it, it will learn to actively ignore it. And now you can never get the brain to use that eye's information with the same level of acuity that it can use the other eye. Therefore, making a child so that he learns to dissociate facial expression um, with the uh, Uh, certain actions and intentions of the people around him may not be completely revocable later in life. Right. Um, There we go. And in fact, I've stressed this when speaking to anyone who'll listen to me about it is guys, when we have data that suggests that we have no effect on viral respiratory pathogens spread with these masks to be taking any degree of risk of the learning of a child is just irrational to do. And we do anything on that. This is where I get so excited. Because my platform is about education and my standpoint, sadly, has become our education institutions are not interested in education. Well, it's certainly I don't see a lot of, well, at least not an, an accurate education. Um, there seems to be a move to educate people very uh, in a very stilted fashion. 
limiting. Yeah, to reduce people down to minimal variables that are of you know, minor importance instead of paying attention to the larger variables of character that can determine what a human being can do. That seems to be very clear in our educational system. Certainly the idea, though, uh, and even uh, uh, Francis Collins, head of the NIH, in his recent interview admitted that they don't have any data that says that this masking of children does anything for COVID-19, uh, admitting that they're just basically guessing without data. Well, to make that guess that there's a benefit with all of the reams of data that indicate there isn't a benefit, and then to say that somehow or other the risk of masking, which is better demonstrated, um, is worth taking for this undefinable, unprovable, more likely disproven supposed benefit, um, this is the equivalent of having four fives on the table and deciding you're going to try and draw another card to get under 21. Um, It's just not a rational position to take. I, that's actually very well said, and it's funny, except it's so sad. Uh, we're fighting this here in my school district um, as well, and they've just voted to uh, not only keep the mask mandate, but they, they're ostracizing and punishing children who, who refuse to wear the masks. And uh, just, just it reminds me of the Salem witch trials. You know, I... Uh... I have for a long time been a uh, proponent of public education, but not the way we do public education now. Uh, Public education we have now actually puts power in the hands of governments and the state and takes it away from parents. And my personal opinion is there's no one raises a child as well as a parent. A mediocre parent is still better at raising a child than a good government is. Therefore, I'm a much bigger fan of, hey, what everybody in the country gets is a voucher system. You have this much money per child to go get this kid educated the best you can, parent. Um, if we had a system like that, we wouldn't be masking children because parents would go to their schools and say, if you're going to mask my child, I'm not bringing a kid here. Um, and we would actually have much more control in the hands of parents who do a much better job of raising children than governments do. Uh, with all due respect to uh, Mrs. Clinton, I don't believe it takes a village. Um. <laughs> all right. We're going to take a quick break and uh, and then I'll come back with uh, with my guest and we're going to talk. We're going to talk on locals. So if you want the rest of this interview, go to sorbos.locals.com. Um, and that's going to, that's, we're, we're going to get into some of the nitty gritty stuff that's probably going to get, that probably would get me booted off YouTube, but I'm going to keep it over on locals in, instead. So, uh, so if you want the rest of this interview, tune in over there. I will, I will be back with more of the show for radio and for podcast. Uh, stay tuned on radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Sam Sorbo. Are you tired of watching your hard-earned dollars go overseas for products that you need? I went to my bathroom and I looked at my toothpaste, made in Mexico, my face cleaner, made in Korea. And that started to irk me, especially in this season of the greatest transfer of wealth that we're seeing in our culture today and the whole transformation. So I decided to purpose to buy U.S. Made. And if you want to join me on that, just email me at buyusmade at protonmail.com. The email again is buyusmade at protonmail.com. And I will show you what I've decided to do. It's just easy. And that way I don't really have to think about it anymore, but it feels good because I know that I'm supporting a U.S. company with U.S. workers, things, products made here in the United States and um, and good stuff. Like, I like the stuff. So it, it was easy for me to switch over. 
So I encourage you to join me by US made at protonmail.com. I'll get right back to you and show you what I'm doing to, you know, one of the small things to try to help save this nation. Thanks so much. This is Sam Sorbo on the Sam Sorbo show. So I'm going to start by going through some more emails because I want to share uh, a little bit of pride, I guess, a a little bit of, I have a little pride in um, how I've been able to affect uh, some people's lives. And I'm really pleased and proud of that. And so you can always go and listen to podcasts, um, you know, previous podcasts for my show while I'm away, if you're, if you need to catch up and stuff. Um, This one came in from a gal named Jennifer. Thank you for writing to me, first of all. I really appreciate the outreach. And this came over on YouTube. Uh, I want to thank you. I'm going to homeschool my son beginning this year. I could not have gained the courage or had known the steps to take for my state without you. Uh, Through the advice you have given and on resources such as HSLDA, and I do, I tout HSLDA. They are a fantastic resource. I felt confident to continue on. We will be beginning on Monday, August 23rd. Although there may be still a little worry, not uh, sorry, only because I have not done this before. I believe and have confidence this can be his best year yet. He will be in second grade. So he's only second grade. So again, thank you. I just want to say I'm so encouraged when I hear that people have taken my um, my advice, my nagging, (laughs) my interminable uh, optimism to heart and have started to embrace that journey with their children. Uh, Here's another one. I just wanted to say thank you for the inspiration that you and your husband have given me. It's all right not to be in the in the in the in crowd and drink and party. It's all right to talk about God and state my beliefs. And uh, she goes on. I'm very thrilled with that. Um, This one, just learning about you, your husband's work. They saw an interview of me and said, you are highly skilled in articulating what the left wants and how to counter it. For example, your description of wealth is the best argument for capitalism versus socialism, and you expand it to the wealth of ideas, which I do. And if you don't have it yet, please get a copy of Words for Warriors, my book. Um, if you if you really are inclined, you can get the audio version. I'm told it's like sitting in the room with me because I recorded the audio for the book. Um, but do pick up a copy of uh, of the book, and uh, I don't know exactly what this person is referring to, but um, in the introduction of the book, I've written the correlation, and I and I would love for that. In fact, I think I, I I need to sort of take excerpts from that and put it in an article and try to circulate it that way. We have to see this correlation and understand that the left seeks poverty. That's what the left seeks. Every leftist seeks to impoverish, whether it's poverty of finances or poverty of thought. Um, that is what the left, that is the, it's a summation of that ideology. Um, poverty for everyone but themselves. And so, yeah, that's one of the arguments I make. Okay. So the other way that I want to tell you to stay in touch with me is if you are tired of being part of the problem, being being supporting um, businesses that are run from abroad or that are just accumulating your money but aren't keeping it here in the United States, I encourage people to buy American. Well, how do you do that? You know, I went to my bathroom and I looked at the products that I have in my bathroom, and most of them are from overseas. 
whether my toothpaste comes from Mexico, my face cleaner comes from Korea, uh, you know, and, and that's frustrating to me because we, we are at a, we're at war right now. Uh, it's very clear to me. So I found a way to buy American very easily and it sets my, it just sets my whole thing at ease. I can't buy everything there. Uh, we're working on it. We're working on other avenues. But for now, I have this one avenue that I'm happy to share with you. And so if you want to stay in touch with me, just go to uh, email me at buyusmade at protonmail.com. So it's just buyusmade at protonmail.com. And I'll get back to you with how this all works. Uh, it's not It's not difficult. And you just have peace of mind. At least that's what I do. It just gives me peace of mind. I'm, I'm tired of funneling money to companies that don't share my values, that don't value America, that actually work to, to tear America down. I'm tired of it. Um, that's why there are many places where I just basically refuse to go. And now I have an outlet where I can go and I know that I'm supporting U.S. made. So, yay. All right. I love this uh, this email that came through on YouTube, I think politicians should be made to pass a test. Who agrees with me? I agree with me. I think politicians should be made to pass a test, like having questions like locate the USA on a map. (laughs) When was the war of 1812? (laughs) Sorry, this is funny. Um, What color was General Washington's white horse? (laughs) And he wrote, I bet most flunk. I'd have to agree with you. I bet most would flunk, sadly. All right. Um, this, this email I thought was pretty cool. You are the first I've heard describe the left's creating codependency as a tool of their agenda. Thank you for pointing that out. Really? I'm the first person that you've heard describe that? I guess, I guess that probably ties into my argument of poverty. The left seeks to impoverish. And by impoverishing somebody, they can then lay claim to them as a slave, basically. And that's, that's the agenda of the left. Um, but I'm kind of sad that, that it's taken you so long to, um, to sort of I- identify that. Or, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad that my message is getting out. Um, and, I'm, and it's going to be bittersweet for me not to do the show, but I just have a great deal of other stuff on my plate and I just can't do everything. And I just feel like um, my TV show is more important right now that I get that message out because folks, we're losing our children. We're sacrificing them to evildoers. And I'm not talking about teachers, but if you are a Christian teacher in school in public school, why are you still there? They have compromised you. They are winning. You are on the losing end. And I, and I know many, many Christian teachers who are in public schools and they feel like they're doing, they're doing their little part to try to help these kids. And um, I struggle, personally, I struggle with that. Because it's like you're, you're running backwards on a speeding train. The train's still going there. You're running backwards, sure. 
but everyone else is, you're still on the train. I, I, I don't know how to, we need a mass exodus of not just students, but teachers from the public schools because of the terrible child abuse that's happening in our schools. It's, it's child abuse. With the masks, it's child abuse. With, with everything else, it's child, with, the, with the critical race theory, with the 1619. Do you think that these things are somehow unrelated? And then it occurred to me the other day, you know, we're railing against, we got these great parents who go to the school board meetings and they're, they're railing against the, the school boards and they're saying, hey, you know, cut it out. Stop teaching the kids this, this claptrap, this terrible stuff. Don't teach the kids to be racist. That's, that's racist. Like, why are you doing this? Cut it out. And okay, that's great that you're fighting the school board. But I have to ask you, where did the school board come from? It's not enough. You know, I had a friend who had, had, a, had a mold problem in her. It was actually in her garage. So it wasn't like a huge deal, but mold's kind of dangerous and you want to be careful and whatever. And so I was over there and she's like, yeah, so we got the bleach and we got the scrubbing and we scrubbed it off the wall. And, and I said to her, but where's the source? She's like, well, it's off the wall now, so it's okay. And I said, I'm not convinced because there's got to be a source for the mold. It's not enough to clean the mold, folks. It's not enough to replace the school board even. It's not enough because the rot comes from inside the walls when you're dealing with, the, with mold. Not every time. But in her case, I was like, yeah, I, I think there's something else going on. And so we did a little bit of research. And sure enough, she has a water leak that's inside the wall. And the mold was just the symptom. And I'm telling you, folks, CRT is not the end goal. CRT is just the symptom. 1619 is another symptom. Some of the sex ed that they're teaching is the symptom. Okay? The problem, the rot, is with how our teachers have been educated at this point. Well, where did they get educated? Oh, dang. They went through the education system. So there you go. There's the rot. The leak is inside the walls. The leak is within the institution. Our education institutions have produced what you're fighting against. And you're like, good to get them. I'm going to make them pay you school board members. No. Why? I will tell you why. They don't have a problem with it. You can replace them, but there are plenty of people that are, that are in the periphery that agree with their point of view. So you parents... Stop. Sorry. And by the way, like I love parents going to the school board and fighting. Yes, that's what I do. I fight. Right. Why am I fighting? My kids are safe. I've kept my kids safe. They are not exposed to that. And by the way, don't even try to have a conversation because they will they will win so fast. They have all the tools to win the arguments because that's what I do all day with them is I give them the tools to win the arguments and then I test them and I prod them. Okay. That's called parenting. 
That's not even called education. That's called parenting. But you parents who go and fight at the school board and, you know, I fight on the air. That's why I do my TV show. That's that's why I write my books. That's why I do this podcast. Great. (laughs) But get your kids out of the way. You don't put your kids in the front line of the battle. You shield your kids from the battle. That's called love. That's called parenting. In fact, I'm going to do an episode of the TV show titled Parenting. That's coming up. I still have to write that. See, there's a lot of work that goes into the TV show. And I, so I can't do, so anyway, I can't do everything. But I'm excited about that. But there's a lot, there's a whole, there's a whole book, there's a whole resource that I'd like to create on parenting. And the reason is because we have a generation, multiple generations at this point, who sent their children to schools. And when the kids spend that much time in school, they lose out on being parented. And then those children came out and they became parents, but they didn't have the benefit of having been truly parented. They were part-time parented. And now they are part-time parents, but without the experience of, of ever having experienced full parenting. And all of this is an attack on God, the true parent. Isn't that funny? It all comes back to that. Same thing with my book, Words for Warriors. Same thing. Uh, so, all that to say, I'm going to take a quick break. If you're listening on radio, I'll be right back. Uh, but I do want to encourage you, go email me at buyusmade at protonmail.com. That's secure email. I prefer it that way. So buy, B-U-I, U-S made at protonmail.com and, uh, and check that out uh, because I think, I think it'll bless you. I, th- it, I don't know. It just, it took a weight off my mind knowing that I could just buy at least this stuff, American made with a company that supports America with conservative values, right? That's important to me. I hope it's important to you. And then, um, yeah, pick up a copy of my book, Words for Warriors. And if you know a family that's struggling through whether to homeschool or not, struggling through that decision, please refer them to my TV show on Epic TV. I think it's just epictv.com slash Sam Sorbo or just epictv.com and, um, and uh, they can find me there. And also, of course, get them a copy of my book there, Your Kids. You can go to samsorbo.com to order any of my things. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Sam Sorbo Show. And welcome back to the Sam Sorbo Show. My guest now is a writer. Uh, He was born in Newport Beach, California. He's a surfer dude. I don't know that's really true. But anyway, he's an award-winning and best-selling author of Britfield and the Lost Crown. He's an international strategist, a prominent speaker, and creativity educator. And so he founded the the prestigious uh, Britfield Institute, which is a nonprofit dedicated to creativity and literacy. And so we're welcoming to the Sam Sorbo Show, Chad Robert Stewart. Welcome to the program. Well, well, thank you, Sam. Very excited. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you wrote this whole series and uh, my understanding is you're making it into a film and a whole basically publishing empire, which is very exciting. Uh, yes. We see it on the on the background behind you. Yes. Um, it's storytelling, but it's historic 
which is always a, a great way to tell the stories is uh, why aren't we telling historical stories rather than just made up fiction? Um, and, uh, uh, and so tell me about it. Tell me about your journey. Like what made you start this and sure. where did the ideas come from and all that good stuff? Yeah, so I'm originally from Newport Beach, California. As you said, I was back east for about 16 years in New England, uh, Wellesley, Massachusetts, to be exact, for uh, undergraduate and graduate work. Uh, I was actually a British literature major, European history major, double major. And I was in the corporate world for a while, banking and investment. And it was a little over 11 years ago when I was down at this uh, seminar in Providence, Rhode Island, when I had the uh, idea for Britfield and the Lost Crown. I went home that weekend, literally on one piece of paper. You can appreciate this. I just started to outline some bullet points and nothing elaborate. I just started to see the story come together. Uh, about two orphans, Tom and Sarah, they're 12 years old. It takes place in Yorkshire, Northern England. And I think what's important too is it takes place in present time. So it's not, it's not in the past, it's not in the future, it's not uh, post-apocalyptic. Um, and it's uh, really just about, uh, uh, Tom, Tom's been an orphan his whole life. Uh, he's been uh, he's been at Weatherly Orphanage for tw- uh, for six miserable years, and this is the year he's going to escape. And so, somewhere along the lines, they commandeer a hot air balloon and start flying over England, and they're chased by the illustrious detective Gowerstone. And that was kind of it—just a fun, creative story. Sat down, it took me four years, twenty five hundred hours to write it. In fact, we piloted the third uh, manuscript or draft to um, to uh, private and public schools um, to our audience kind of that young adult audience. It was great. Got great feedback. They loved it, but got great feedback. And so we really tailored it for that audience. And really, we scored about a 9.03 out of a scale of 1 to 10 across all demographics uh, from an age range of, let's say, 10 to 14. And that's and that's that's also uh, children from all these different backgrounds, children that like sci-fi. We're not a sci-fi book, but they just really enjoyed it. Um, and officially launched it in August of 2019. Since then, it's been a it's been a national bestseller, but it's also been one of the most awarded books in children's fiction, which is amazing in that amount of time. It's part of a seven book series. We just launched book two, um, Britfield and the Rise of the Lion, on July 4th. That takes place in France. And uh, book three, I'm working on right now, almost finished. That'll launch next year, which will be kind of exciting. That's our trilogy, and that takes place in Italy. And then uh, there's seven books, and so it's Eastern Europe, uh, Asia. South America, and then finally United States. We're in development. Why just first- seven? Yeah. Why not 27? Like what's <laughs> stopping you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think seven has a nice round to it. I think um, I think there's a lot of work, as you can imagine. It took me uh, five years and 25, uh, 3,000 hours to write book, book two. Um, but what's neat about it is- You're it very books. slow. <laughs> I know. What's wrong with <laughs> write me? Write faster. No, I, I am though. I, I picked up the pace. I mean, I wrote, I wrote uh, book three, which is Britfield and the Return of the Prince, uh, in about uh, a little over a year, and it's about 525 pages. So it's, um, and that's just the first draft, and then it's the editing process. But what's great about this book, and you'll appreciate this, is that it's number one, it's really based on family values. It's based on family, um, loyalty, friendship, courage, character. That's the thread, that's the, the anchor, the foundation of the entire book series. There's no agenda, there's no nonsense, there's no propaganda garbage, which is really out in the mainstream media and, and pretty much all books. Um, I, we, we've, we've figured all out new, that. you're saying pretty much all new books. The, the new yeah, kids yeah, fiction is full yeah. of, and you know, I, I, I want to point out, I'm talking jump scares. There's, there's, it's basically a kind of uh, children's, I, I hesitate to say this word, but it, it sort of applies in the sense that um, pornography works on the, the mind like a drug. Uh, so does fear. So does mm-hmm. thriller. Right. Sure. And so they have these kids thriller novels 
And it's, there's a, there's a formula. So every six or seven pages, you need like the jump scare, the, the thing that really gets the adrenaline going and the kids get kind of addicted to that kind of thing. And I'm not saying that the porn isn't out there. It's also out there in the kids books. Um, and so what, what, uh, Chad Stewart's doing here is something that, that gets away from all of that and creating something that's basically safe for children to read, for young sure. people to read, that's exciting. I want to ask you because I looked through, uh, uh, you know, all of the stuff that you sent. I thought that this was actually historic. Is it, or is does it have some some historical elements to it, or is it all yes. fiction? Oh yeah, no, 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 no. What's great okay. about this, and I wasn't kind of done. I was just talking about. I was kind of laying it out, but uh, it's based on all those values, which is great. It's really based about family. That's like that's the thread that goes through all the series. Um, it's also, it, it, as you're reading it, you're going to learn about history, geography, art, architecture, culture. So I bring you into each world, like book one is in England. And so you learn about some of this British history, which is really exciting for kids. I mean, when's the last time kids like enjoyed reading history? And uh, we like right. to call it, ste- we like to call these books stealth education because kids are learning and reading. And, and we have like five maps in the beginning of book one. And it's, I mean, when's the last time a child has, has read maps? Is geography even taught? I mean, it's it's so poor. People would say, you know, where's Alabama? Is that is that in, uh, is that in Asia? Right. I mean, uh, our ge- so it's, it's got geography. It anchors in that. It gets them excited about it. We have our website, an award winning website, which has got over 400 pictures of England. This is like book two. I'm sorry, book one. And uh, so it's kind of fun. These are all real places that children can go. And um, in fact, we've had a lot of feedback from parents of like, I'm taking my kids to England next year. And once this thing stops. And so it's really good. It's just getting kids excited about uh, world culture, it's, uh, getting them excited about travel. That's why book two is in like France, book three is in Italy. So I'm taking them on this world tour. And you, and you asked me about only seven books. And part of it is because um, Tom and Sarah are 12 in book one. They're 13 in book two. They're 14 in book three, which is really exciting. I've always looked at that. When you're that young, that Every, every year is like a decade, especially in that age. And so by the time I finish with seven books, they're 18, and I think it really concludes it. And it's also kind of done a complete world tour. But they're very educational. That's what's exciting. So you, you learn about all these different places, architecture. I have a lot of uh, literary references. But my understanding so, is yeah. that Tom and Sarah have cousins who are somewhat younger than them and maybe have other adventures. <laughs> Meaning I'm not following it. The orphans at the beginning. Meaning, really, meaning that there's yeah. meaning that they discover long lost uh, cousins later on. And then the cousins have the adventures. And so there's 12. Books oh, in this oh there you go. Yeah. I like, <laughs> oh, I like the thread. We'll see. It's I mean, fiction. Uh, you can do anything you want. You can too. And it's kind of funny because it's like, we've had wonderful feedback. Um, I mean, literally across the nation, half our audience are adults, which is, which is great. And it's a great book for, um, for families. It's a great book for moms. It's, it's wonderful for the, for the homeschool group. One thing I didn't mention is we, uh, we launched a, a national school tour uh, back in August. And uh, we ended up driving 9,000 miles, 23 states. We presented over, over 180 schools to more than 40,000 students. Wow. So we come in with Britfield and the award-winning book for about 10, 15 minutes. But we're really coming about, we talk about writing, we talk about creativity and um, storytelling and, and uh, just have had amazing 45, 50 minute engaged audiences, sometimes up to 400. We were at Oaks Christian up in uh, LA and we had uh, over 430 with, a, with a, a movie screen behind us, which was really exciting. So it's really been, it's just been well, getting that's cool. Like, so Oaks Christian yeah. was my, that was my stomping grounds. I'm not there anymore, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They right down the street. I've, you know, spent time yeah. there. Yeah. I thought you could relate to that. So it was, it yeah. was a lot of fun. And so, but, but we've been to all different types of schools, Christian, private, public, uh, we went to a homeschool. Are the books? Group. Tell me this. Are the books Christian? Uh, 
They're for mainstream. So, so they're not I, non-Christian, but they aren't yeah. Christian. Yeah, I think exactly. that's very cool. And um, I, th- think of C.S. Lewis, and that's really important. So it's like I don't need to, to preach to the choir, but there's nothing that deviates from the from the biblical principles. There you go. Or, yeah, or, or, well or biblical family. And I need to be specific these days. Family, biblical family principles, right? Um, and that's really what it is. You could even call it stealth evangelism in some ways, but why preach to the choir? So much like what C.S. Lewis did with the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe we're doing with the Ritual series. And so we have, a, we have the entire audience, and it touches everyone's heart. What, what family, what religion, what background doesn't relate to uh, the children, that doesn't relate to you know, the family, to character, to sacrifice, to courage, all those all these things. That's the foundation. That's the thread. It's not about witchcraft. Where can people go to find uh, the materials? And you have like study guides and stuff too, don't you? We do. What's what's great is we're, we're, we're being taught right now in a lot of schools across the nation, which is great. That's kind of our long game is to get into, you know, the schools and as Britfield Lost Crown comes in, another book gets kicked out. And so we've got an 83 page study guide based on national standards and uh, uh, it's wonderful. So it's been adapted to a lot of schools. So teachers can teach it. Homeschool groups right. can teach it. Um, so where can people chapter. find it? Uh, you can go to Britfield.com. So B-R-I-T-F-I-E-L-D, Britfield.com. That's our main website or um, Amazon. And, uh, and, and if somebody wants, if somebody's, you know, at a school and they're like, hey, it would be great to have that presentation for our weekly assembly or something. Can they can they contact you there? Yeah, just everything is at Britfield.com. We have a thing called the tour. Uh, which is exciting. And so you can see, you can see like, you know, hundreds of pictures, all these feedback from, from teachers across the nation and, and the impact we've had. This will be the last semester we do our tour as we're developing the movie. We're going abroad now. I mean, we're, we're, in, uh, we're in Canada, Germany, England. Uh, we'll soon be uh, in Russia, Japan, South America. I mean, this is uh, our goal. Tra- you're being yeah. translated. Is that what you're saying? The book is correct. going there or? Yeah, correct. Translated. Okay. Yeah, the, the rights are being purchased and it will be translated in, in those different Karasho. ways. Karasho. So. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. So, uh, and then, uh, and then we're in development for the first movie. So, we wanted to talk a little bit about that. So, we're really excited about that. So, it'll be seven books, seven movies. Um, if all goes well, the first movie will be launched in uh, 2023. So, it might sound like a bit, bit far away, but that's not necessarily. Oh, I mean, it takes, it typically takes like five years to develop a movie. So, yeah. but you've got people writing the screenplay right now? Not yet. We're in development stage of that. We're going to make an announcement probably in October, November, which will be exciting, a press release of the Britfield movie. We, we, we believe that the Britfield movie will be one of the most anticipated, most successful films in cinematic history. So I've stated that here. So, so we'll see. But uh, for a lot of reasons, number one, 90% of the stuff out there is, is horrific and garbage. But number two, people are starving for just a good story. Think of The Blind Side meets um, C.S. Lewis, right? Or, or, the, or, or Narnia. You know, it's like people just want a good story, a real story. They're tired of this fact, this fiction, this this heightened fiction, this flashover substance nonsense, the witchcraft, the post-apocalyptic, all of it. It's 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 what Zombies. you were talking about. Yeah, it's what you were talking about. It's that nonsense. It's that stimulation. We like to say that it's like like McDonald's. It smells good. It tastes good. And then you go no in nutritional and it, value. It, it, yeah. And you walk away and 20 minutes later, you feel like garbage. And, you know, three hours later, you feel even worse versus, you know, eating a really good meal. And that's what Britfield is. It's like it's exciting. and and. You could re- I've had one, one child that re- reread it seven times. We've had 12-year-olds that have finished the 400 pages in 12 hours. I mean, I mean in five hours. Um, it's just amazing. The impact that Whitfield's having across, really across the nation in the schools. Uh, there's a, there's 100,000 middle school and um, elementary schools, and our goal is to be in at least 80 to 90% of them in the next five to seven years. We just signed a big deal with a partnership for retail that's in 55,000 schools. And uh, they want to be the engine 
getting it in there. So well, that's exciting. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. So uh, Britfield.com is where people can go. And um, Chad Robert Stewart, I really want to thank you for coming on. This is very exciting. Um, I, I would play the mom, but they're orphans. So now what am I supposed to do in the movie? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I have to think about that. Well, there's, there's Mrs. Grievous. That's kind of a cool role uh, at the beginning. And uh, I'll actually, take it. <laughs> uh, yeah. In, 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 in book two, in book two, there's uh, Inspector Fontaine. She's uh, she works for Interpol and she becomes a very key character in book two. That would be a, that's a, that's a coveted role. That'd be great. So. All righty. It's a deal. <laughs> Thanks right. for coming on the program. It's good All to right. see you. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Bye take bye. care. This is the Sam Sorbo Show. If you want more information, just go to Britfield.com. Also, this is my last podcast for a season. I'm taking a brief hiatus uh, because I've basically taken on too much work. And with my television show on Epic TV, uh, I've decided that I need to take a break from my podcast. So go to EpicTV.com if you want to see that. It's called Schools Out with Sam Sorbo. And uh, I think you'll really like it. Also, if you want any of my books, go to samsorbo.com or anything else, actually. And you can email me there. And um, uh, yeah, that's it. This is the Sam Sorbo Show. Oh, I did want to mention that we started a new uh, effort together with Nutramedics. And Nutramedics has um, products that are, uh, it's homeopathic, they're herbal, and I got to say, I've been using them and I really like them, uh, which is why we've, we've joined forces. But not only that, the company of Nutramedics has, um, has our values. And so the deal that we've worked out with them is if you go to Nutramedics and you order anything and you use the code SORBO, S-O-R-B-O, at checkout, you will save money and they will donate proceeds to our film studios, the Sorbo Studios. So, and if you want to check out Sorbo Studios, you can just go to sorbostudios.com. But check out Nutramedics. It's, um, it's, it's really good stuff. I use their mood medics and their relax medics because um, I deal with a little bit of stress and I just find that that just helps me um, maintain a little bit better. Uh, so check out Nutramedics.com and, um, and then email me. Let me know how you do. All right, this is the Sam Sorbo Show. Stay tuned. I'll be right back if you're listening on radio or podcast. Welcome back to the Sam Sorbo Show. I have another guest, actually an old friend who I am so happy to welcome back on the program. He used to come on my nationally syndicated radio show way back when, when I first got to know him. He's the author of the national bestseller, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. And he has a new book out now. He's the former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He served there for 17 years and brought that school to national prominence. His new book is called Grow Up. Life isn't safe, but it is good. Joining me now is Dr. Everett Piper. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Sam, for having me on. Delighted. I to just be. like I, I like saying the names of your books because it's snarky. <laughs> well, that's my spiritual gift. Uh, you know, I think it's in the Bible somewhere. Snarkiness. That's one of the gifts of the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I think your next book, I have the title for it. Lighten up. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, the, grow up is a sequel to not a daycare. You know, daycare. I was calling out the snowflake rebellion and the cancel culture. And I was basically warning y'all. And saying what's taught today in the classroom is going to be practiced tomorrow in our culture. And here I am, some 
you know, six, seven years later after the, the not a daycare story. And I'm saying in grow up, I told you so. I told you it was coming <laughs> here. Here we are. We taught a bunch of narcissistic, self-absorbed kids to worship the God they see in the mirror rather than the God they find in the Bible. And now they've got jobs at Twitter and Facebook and the United States government where they're canceling everybody who disagrees with them. How dare you say anything that these 21-year-old, 25-year-old know-nothings disagree with? They're going to shut you down. They're going to cancel you. They're going to silence you because your opinion is now verboten. And they're going to do it all under the banner of tolerance and affirmation while they won't tolerate you or affirm anything you say. It's right, not... The, the book is not just an I told you so, because you do offer some solutions. I do. It's 20 chapters of solutions. So it's not just whining and warning of the problem, which some people could. <laughs> the whining know, book, and, that's uh, the book that I would write. Yeah. Well, and I, the <laughs> not, not a daycare was kind of the whining book. This is kind of a Jordan Peterson-esque book, if you will, of 20 solutions, 20 chapters on how to act like an adult in an infantilized world, how to grow up, how to do what the Apostle Paul tells the Church of Ephesus, grow up while you speak the truth in love. So you need to act like an adult. You need to stop acting like a perpetual adolescent pouting every time you don't like something. You need to engage culture as a mature human being. Obviously, this was a challenge even for the early church, and I'm arguing there are some very clear things that can be done in our churches, in our culture, in our schools, and in our families that might ha- actually help us recover the high ground of being a, of a culture of uh, self-giving adults rather than self-centered and narcissistic children. So, you know, I do a TV show now for Epic TV called Schools Out with Sam Sorbo, and, I, and I'm a big proponent of, of home education, which I now call self-teaching. Uh, I'm trying to rebrand it because it's not home and it's not school. So, um, and what I've stumbled upon, because, you know, a lot of people reach out to me and they're struggling with their kids with the, they struggle with the mask mandates, but they struggle with the Zoom calls that, you know, are supposed to be the classrooms for their kids and stuff. Um, and what I've noticed is that a lot of the parents really have parenting issues. And I think that this stems from the idea that in, in putting our children in institutions, we infantilize them even more and we remove the parent. We remove the parents from the equation for a substantial part of every day. And so now those children have grown up virtually unparented or, or de-parented, right? They've, they've had less exposure to their parents. And so now they have no idea how to parent effectively, mainly because nobody showed them how. And so we really have a parenting crisis. So while you're saying grow up, can you, can, can you relate to that? Can you relate it to that phenomenon? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I do cover that in the book. Um, let's ask the doc, Dr. Phil question on this particular issue. How is helicopter parenting working for you? It hasn't worked very well, has it? Giving our kids a participation trophy for everything they do, rather than leading them, guiding them, disciplining them, 
challenging them rather than comforting and coddling them hasn't worked very well. We've produced a culture of perpetual children through helicopter parenting. It isn't all the millennials' fault. It might be the generation that raised the millennials. So again, back to Dr. Phil, how's it working for you? Is helicopter parenting effective? And the answer is clearly no. You go back to Richard Weaver's seminal work of 1948, where he said ideas have consequences. Well, they always do. They have consequences. You're making this point in a lot of your speaking. What you teach is going to bear itself out in the way people live. And how you parent is going to bear itself out in the way your children actually behave. And, you know, I learned something, and I cover this in my book, too. The best coach I ever had... The best coach I ever had made it clear that he was not my friend. He was my coach. He didn't desire to be my best friend. He desired to lead me, coach me, mentor me, and mold me. Parents need to stop pretending like they're their kid's best friend. You're not. You're not your kid's friend. You're his parent. There's a difference here. Parent them. Discipline them. Hold them accountable. Recognize what we're told in the Proverbs, and that is, as iron sharpens iron, let one man sharpen another. If there's no sharpening process going on here, we're going to have very dull progeny. Yeah, I I wish I could disagree with you because that would make for a more interesting uh, debate, but (laughs) I don't know how to debate that. It seems so obvious. I got into a conversation with a gal the other day, And um, she's a homeschooler uh, and she's struggling because her oldest child is sort of become has become a little bit sullen and a little difficult and not the helpful oldest child that this uh, that this 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 uh, kid was. And so my girlfriend is struggling with it and um, doesn't quite know what to do about it. And I said, you know, the mother's job is to fail the 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 job of the parent is to make themselves obsolete, but that's not what we're doing. And so I think that what she's struggling through is how to give her, her child autonomy and the child wants autonomy. The child wants to be independent. And, you know, it's that old thing that's, that's become a new thing now. I don't, I don't know if you've seen the meme, um, you doing the dishes because you thought of doing the dishes is, is like the, the cartoon of the person doing dishes (laughs) whistling, right? And then the other the other image is you doing the dishes because you were asked to do the dishes and you're grumbling because somebody asked you to do the dishes. And I think we're, we're really struggling as a culture with this idea. And I, I, that's why that when I saw your book, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's hit the nail on the head. Grow up. I think we're all struggling with that idea. Grow up because we were we came through the system of follow the leader and we're still looking for the parent in the room. Well, who's going to parent me now? Yeah. And the subtitle to my book is probably more important than the catch line of grow up. The well, subtitle certainly is, today. Yes. COVID. Life isn't. And I didn't, you know, I, I wrote the book before COVID. Now it was released after COVID was, uh, we were aware of it, but I wrote everything before we knew of it. Did you have I, the I, subtitle before COVID? I did. No, oh, that's uncanny. Um, and in fact, irony, I was in Rome finishing the book weeks before COVID broke and flew home Submitted the copy to the publishers. But back to the point. The subtitle is more important than the title. Why? What's the subtitle? Life isn't safe, but it's good. I play off of C.S. Lewis's description of the great lion Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where the beavers, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, the talking animals down by the river, tell the children that Aslan is on the loose. 
They don't know who Aslan is. So they ask Mr. Beaver, who's Aslan? Well, he's the great lion, the son of the emperor beyond the sea. Well, the children are frightened. A great lion? And they ask, is he safe? Is Aslan safe? And Mr. Beaver says, of course not. Aslan isn't safe, but he's good. We need to understand priorities. Parents need to understand priorities. Our culture, our nation needs to understand priorities. The first priority of being a human being made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, is that we are free. We are given liberty. That used to be the goal of the academy, to honor the words of Christ. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you safe. No, the truth shall make you free. Life isn't safe, but it's good. The ivory tower isn't safe but it's good. Education isn't safe, but it's good. The church isn't safe, but it's good. The Constitution of the United States is not supposed to be safe, but it's good. First things first, get our priorities straight, and we might be able to recover this culture. What do you see for the future? I mean, obviously, you know, we've got the COVID thing happening and and all of that. Are you are you optimistic? It sounds like you are. I mean, it sounds like your book is, is a step in the right direction, right? Well, I'm an optimist as a Christian. I'm an optimist, Sam, because I trust the words of Christ. I trust his promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Now, what's going to happen between now and that ultimate victory? I don't know. (laughs) It could get bumpy. And I'm serious. It could get bumpy. But we need to realize that the difficulty, the iron sharpening iron, that all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord— the difficulty that I face as a leader, as a father, as a, as a citizen, as an athlete, whatever that difficulty may be, that difficulty refines me. You're refined by fire. And in the days ahead, I am optimistic, but I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, naive. The battle is real. And we're going to have to engage the battle as faithful followers of Christ who recognize, recognize that he's not going to lie to us. We're going to win but, but the bumps in the road are things that we can only navigate if we have our priorities straight and we act like adults rather than cowering children. And your book, and your book tells us how to do that. Absolutely. Ten chapters. Life isn't safe, but it's good. Ten chapters on how to function like a thoughtful, mature human being in a culture of infantilized children. Are you... Um... What, what is the response to the book so far? Are, are people, are people uh, you know, surprised? Are they, are they um, do they feel like it's making a difference for them, the readers? Uh, well, yeah, I'm going to answer you. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting affirmation from a variety of people. I've, I've been on your show. I've been on the Glenn Beck show. I've been on Fox and Friends. And I think people recognize uh, intuitively. You may not have thought about it the way I've thought about it. And I was a college president for nearly 20 years. I've engaged in the academy for 35 years. My career was given to trying to help people get an education that led them to more liberty rather than less. That's the nature of a liberal arts education. So that's my career. And I'm not pretending that everybody else is going to think about these challenges in the same context. But my point is this. Yes, people recognize something's wrong. When you have a bunch of children telling us on Facebook and Twitter that they won't listen to what you have to say (laughs) and that you just need to listen to the government and get a vaccine and wear a mask, even though a porous piece of paper is going to protect you from what? Nothing. Nothing. And nobody wants to ask a logical question. And when you do, Sam, they shut you down. This 
is not the recipe for a free culture. This is the recipe for fascism. And we see that in the ideological fascism of the left as they try to silence the debate. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you can get uh, grow up. Life isn't safe, but it but it is good. You can get it anywhere fine books are sold. Is there an audio version? A lot of people ask me about audio. There's an audio version. There's a Kindle version published by Regnery. And like you said, any online bookstore. Grow up. Life isn't safe, but it's good. Dr. Everett Piper, thank you so much for joining me on the Sam Sorbo Show. 